Good morning, welcome to the episode of Hard Fire Radio. Appreciate you for tuning in. This is the show that values time, so let's not waste any. So, we are starting our division and conference breakdowns. We've got two weeks until the NFL season starts. Thank the Lord the NFL went from four preseason games to three. And if there's anything good in the world, we'll go down to two or, I don't know, maybe none. Just, you know, do joint practices for a couple weeks. Like, I don't understand why the NFL hasn't just already done that, but... I'm not the commissioner, so what the hell do I know? Let's start here. Uh, so we're going to to explain how we're going to do it this week. Uh, all four AFC divisions. Um, today we're going to do the South, which I think is the least interesting. Uh, then we're going to do the North tomorrow. We have Tony on for that. I'm sorry, doing the East tomorrow. Then we got the North on Wednesday, which I think is the second best division in the AFC. And then we got the AFC West on Thursday. And then we're going to do an AFC conference breakdown. Um, so what I'm going to be doing is I'm going to be starting these off with what I think is the number one story inside the division. Some divisions, um, like the AFC West, has more storylines. It's kind of harder to say what is the number one story versus some divisions like the South today, which we'll get into, not as much as interesting, right? So when it comes to that, let's start with, oh, and then on Friday, we'll do the full AFC breakdown. So what I think... Um, and on Friday, now I'm going to give you placements where I think these teams will finish. And on Friday, I will give you a full, like, record scenario. Like, we'll be going over the schedule. This whole thing's going to be really huge. Uh, looking forward to it. But today we're starting with the AFC South. So AFC South, what is the number one storyline in the AFC South? It has to be, is Trevor Lawrence going to make the leap in year two? Hear me out. The AFC South has four teams, like all divisions, right? Let's look at the four teams in the AFC South. The Titans. We know what the Titans are. Ryan Tanner, even with the loss of A.J. Brown, and that was probably their most compelling storyline, and then mix in the quote-unquote QB controversy they have now with Malik Willis, which I don't think is a controversy. I think Tannehill starts the whole year, even though Willis has had flashes in the preseason games. We know what Tennessee is. It's Derrick Henry, it's Mike Vrabel. Um, it's a really, really well-coached fundamental football team. And if Derrick Henry's there, he's doing Derrick Henry things, they have a chance to win the division. And if he gets hurt like last year and Tannehill it plays like he did at the end of last year versus the beginning, well, then they have no chance to win the division. Uh, move over to Houston. We just get them. There's nothing really relevant about the Houston Texans right now. Um, the And then the Colts is our other team. The Colts, we just kind of know what they are. They're, uh, they're somehow a more boring version of the Titans, right? The Titans are this run-heavy Derrick Henry offense and, you know, play-action pass, good defense, good coaching. Like, it's just very standard by the books. And somehow the Colts are an even more boring version of that. I understand Matt Ryan's there this year, but Matt Ryan's kind of the poster boy for just the traditional quarterback. Like, there's nothing extra or super special about him or something makes you go oh I can't wait to see out of all of the quarterbacks that switch teams this offseason and I understand it's not always a lot but even guys that get drafted Matt Ryan's probably the least exciting so that leaves us with Trevor Lawrence making the leap in year two here's the thing with Trevor Lawrence no one blames him and no one should for what happened last year. 
it was a disaster and a shit show and a dumpster fire in Jacksonville last year between the Urban Meyer situation, um, the, like the whole, the the everything in Jacksonville went wrong last year, right? So no one blames Trevor Lawrence. But let's not forget, and I am big on, if you make it to this level, you have already succeeded. If you are a guy who is at the top 1% of your profession, which is what the NFL is, the top 1% of football players in the world, and it's probably even less than 1%, it's probably like a 0.3 or something like that, you've already made it. And I'm not big on coming in here and hammering guys and just being overly critical because of where they were drafted or what they were doing. But I'm not the only person in sports media, obviously. And when it comes to someone like Trevor Lawrence, when you are as hyped, when you are as celebrated, when you are as decorated a player as he has been, number one high school player, number one college player, I think only lost once in high school, only lost three times in college. Like it was, and it really only time he's like you're only losing to Alabama kind of deal. When you're the number one player for that long, at some point you gotta put that and the and the world you live in. Remember, Trevor Lawrence doesn't live in my world. I go visit his when I do this show, but he doesn't live in my world. So he is going to be criticized harder than other guys. He is going to be critiqued harder than other guys. That's the world he's living in. That's why he gets paid millions of dollars. No one's going to blame him for last year. You understand that. But you got to be better in year two. Especially the thing that Trevor Lawrence is going to have the hardest time adjusting to and is going to be one of our first examples of him and to a lesser degree Justin Herbert is think back to about 10 years or 11 11 12 years ago now oh well no holy shit 2008 think back to 15, 14 years ago I'm old there was a change in quarterbacking Joe Flacco and Matt Ryan both drafted in the first round both started as rookies up to that point that was still not normal. Guys got drafted in the first round and would sit. That happened a lot. Obviously in the early NFL it happened all the time. Um, a very recent example, at least recent to 2008, was Carson Palmer was number one overall pick, he sat a year. Eli Manning sat. Like, it was normal, Phillip Rivers sat. Ben Roethlisberger was, even though he ended up coming in play, was supposed to sit. Like, you didn't expect guys coming right out of college to play year one. It was not the NFL normal. Matt Ryan and Joe Flacco came in, and they busted down that wall. Both had incredible seasons. Both made the playoffs. Matt Ryan was the offensive rookie of the year. Like, they changed the landscape of first-round quarterbacks. Even if you don't think they're like all-time guys or, you know, Hall of Famers or whatever, they changed and were a part of a pivotal moment in NFL history, the way that we view first-year quarterbacks. Now, let's go forward these last, let's go forward 13 years. Now we have Justin Herbert, who was essentially thrown in a couple games into his rookie season and set essentially every passing record for the first two seasons of his career. Most touchdowns, most yards, all that stuff. He just came in, lit the league, lit, like lit the league on fire, statistically. So, what did Justin Herbert do? 
uh, it's not so much what did you do, but you always have to remember is what's the impact. And the impact is because of what Justin Herbert did, that will now start to show in the way we evaluate other quarterbacks. It used to be we went from city year, see how you do your first year starting, and we'll even give you up until year three. It's pretty much fair, free game. Like you're learning. Matt Ryan and Joe Flacco come in. Well, now you can learn. You can still have to be great as a rookie, but you got to be able to play a little bit as a rookie. You'll be able to start games. you got to look like you know what you're doing, even if you don't have the greatest rookie season of all time. Now we get Herbert, who is pushing the statistical envelope on how good you can be as a first-year, second-year player. And then we got Joe Burrow, who came in as a rookie. He looked really good. He got hurt. He came back in his second year, and he got the Bengals to a Super Bowl. Now, I want anybody that's listening right now, if you are under the age of 40, hell, if you're just alive, got the Bengals to a Super Bowl is one of the most impressive sports feats in all of sports. Joe Burrow in his second year took a historically dysfunctional organization to the Super Bowl. At the same time, Justin Herbert is lighting it up statistically. We're up in the clock on guys. It's no longer, we went from city year to, I play, now succeed. And not just succeed, succeed to levels we've never seen before. Now, that doesn't mean everybody in their first year is going to get Super Bowl like Joe Burrow. And it doesn't mean everybody's going to get, excuse me, it doesn't mean everybody's going to throw for the most yards in NFL history for two, in his first two years. But you got to show us you can play like that or the leash gets even lower. And, you know, and if you guys think that I'm crazy, look at someone like Josh Rosen who's kind of in the middle of this and when it really hit this apex, Josh Rosen only got a couple games. And he was out of there. And Arizona said, yeah, we think Kyler Murray's better. Kyler comes in and plays. Kyler's great immediately. Now, now Kyler Murray's got a $230 million contract. It's changing. So I say all that to say, Trevor Lawrence, when you are the number one guy in high school, you're the number one guy in college, you're the number one pick in the draft. Now, there's external situations that we forgive. Like we forget, like, like I said, there was things happening in Jacksonville off the football field that you would not expect him to take care of or to be able to handle necessarily at that age. I mean, who the hell can handle that much chaos at 22 years old? I couldn't. But these other guys who are around your age, Super Bowl by year two, most passing yards ever in first two years, these are now your contemporaries. And we'll even throw in as a side note, another guy who is made is going to make it even harder for Trevor Lawrence. Look at what Derek Carr just went through. Now, I am not on the Colin Coward level of Derek Carr fandom, but if you look at the dysfunction, like Jacksonville was super dysfunctional last year. The only other team that made a case as, as dysfunctional as Jacksonville was the Raiders. And we're not going to repeat everything that happened off the field. Obviously, some of it tragic. But Derek Carr, through a extremely turbulent, dysfunctional, 
everything that could go wrong kind of season. In a year they weren't even expected to make the playoffs, if everything went correct, got the Raiders to the playoffs. Interim head coach. We know what happened off the field. Derek Carr got the Raiders to the playoffs. That's going to matter. No one blames Trevor Lawrence for what happened, and no one should. But the world he's going to move into is the, these guys did it, why can't you? Because that's the business. Head coaches have been on this for a while. Head coaches have been on this longer than the players have. Head coaches got about a two-year time, two time clock now. We've had a couple outliers. Matt Rule is kind of outlierish, even though he is... Even though he has a longer contract, he's basically, you know, he might get fired into his third season if he got like an eight-year contract. And I talked about this when John Gruden, before everything else went crazy, like he had a 10-year contract. And I like the fact that it's like, okay, give these coaches some time. It's not, not every, if you're hiring a new head coach, it's because something went wrong or you're a bad football team and you can't expect everyone to go in there overnight and just go, all right, it's all fixed. And I don't think we should let me be very clear here. I don't think we should expect quarterbacks to be able to come in and do what Joe Burrow did. I think it's amazing what he did. I think it is otherworldly what he did. I don't think it should be the expectation. But this isn't my world. This is the world Trevor Lawrence is going into. And so because this is the world that he's going into, he needs to know if he doesn't get it done in year two, we're going to start looking at him funny. Not weird people. I'm not a part of this. I like Trevor Lawrence. But people are going to start looking at him funny. People are going to start questioning. Should he have gotten up one overall? Should he have... Should he have... Should he have been highly as highly touted as he was? Is he a bust? And here's the problem with society. And if you're just, if you're a human being, you understand this. A rational person would tell you, look at a guy like Josh Allen. He didn't come out the big crazy. He wasn't amazing his first two years. But they kept working and working. And they understood that even though he doesn't look like it yet, he had the tools to do it. He's 6'7", 6'8". He could run. He was jumping over people. He had a really strong arm. They're like, you know what? He's not good enough yet. But we believe in our coaches. We believe in our program. We believe in what we can do. And we can make this into something. And I would like to think something like Josh, uh, like somebody like Josh Allen, he would tilt the scale. Go to the NBA. Andrew Wiggins. Andrew Wiggins was scoring 20 points a game in Minnesota. And he was labeled a bust, essentially, by a lot of the public. Gets to Golden State. He gets a new role. Now he's got a title. And now he's considered one of, not the best, but one of the most important players on that team. And this is why I say it's a societal thing. Is it doesn't matter that we have these... We, we have these examples of patience and effort and coaching, and it takes time. People don't want to do that, especially really rich billionaire NFL and sports owners. Most of them don't want to do that. 
we glamorize, and some of these guys have lived the life of work hard, work hard, work hard, work hard, big breakthrough, boom, rich, super successful. But that takes a lot of time. And if you're somebody, we don't, if you're somebody who's already done it, like these owners, you don't necessarily want to do it again because now you're in your 50s, your 60s, your 70s. What do we hear with Jerry Jones all the time? He's like, I'm not getting any younger. Like, I want to see something. Let's go. Let's go. Versus in the 90s, he would have had more patience. And if you look at the Cowboys drafting, and when Jerry Jones was younger, they were willing to take this draft develop mentality. He doesn't want to do that again. He's too old. And his people, you know, I like listening to motivational speakers. And I'm okay with things can take time. But most people don't want to live the take time route. Especially when you have head coaches and quarterbacks on entirely different clocks. A quarterback could show promise in his first two years. But if they don't win enough, his head coach is fired. Coaching staff gone. How much does that hurt? Think of someone even like Justin Herbert. And I know Herbert's put up great stats, but they're like, well, he's not winning enough. When his first two years, he said, despite his all of his records, he's got two head coaches. Because his first head coach was not on the same clock as him. He couldn't be. Two, you don't win in two to three years, you're out of here. So Trevor Lawrence, and this is the like, this is the most important story in the AFC South. You gotta figure it out. And I'm not saying it's fair. I'm not saying it's right. But you got to figure it out. You are the franchise now. You are the guy. And because of guys like Burrow and Herbert, the same way guys like Flacco and, Joe, uh, Flacco and Matt Ryan, when these guys rewrite the book and they change not just for themselves, but they're changing it for everybody else, you won't see, outside of very unique situations, you won't see guys sitting behind for a full year. You won't see guys letting them draft and develop for three to four years. That's over. You got really rich, really impatient owners who had head coaches that realized they got really rich and patient owners, so they gotta be on this really hard time clock to win. And then you got quarterbacks who are 21, 22 year old kids. It's time, Trevor Lawrence, it's time. Appreciate everybody for joining me in today. This is Hard for Radio. It's a wonderful Monday, wonderful way to start the week off. Uh, we are going to do our team by team breakdowns, essentially, of the AFC South leading into this. Uh, we are going to do the two teams that I think will be towards the bottom of the division in our next segment, and then we'll end today with the teams that I think will be at the top of the division in our final segment of the day. This is Hard Fall Radio. We'll be back momentarily.
this is Hard for Radio. Appreciate everybody for listening. Um, I'll get better segue music, I promise. Promise, I promise, I promise I will. One day. Let's get the drink of coffee real quick and then we'll get going. Why not drink the coffee during the segue moments? I don't know, because I'm not that smart. That's why. So, we got to discuss, it's the AFC South, so we're going to start um, this segment off with the two teams that I think finished towards the bottom of the division. I'm not giving you records right now, I will give you records and a breakdown of that on Friday, um, but I will give you where I have placing. And unless something drastic happens between now and Friday, this shit is already pretty much set in stone for me. Obviously, if between like now and Friday, I don't want to name names, knock on wood, if a starting quarterback were to go down or significant injury happens, obviously that changes it. Um, and then I'll be kind of checking in on these throughout uh, pretty much every quarter of the season, and we'll see where we're at. Uh, so we got to start with the team that will finish, in my opinion, last in the division. Uh, it's the Houston Texans. So, where do you where do you start with here? So, it sucks. This is the first time I have to talk about doing these breakdowns all week. Um, what do we like about the Texans? I think I like Davis Mills, but it's kind of hard to say that I really like him, considering all the other things that are going down. This is not just a on the field thing this is obviously off the field with their involvement with the Deshaun Watson case and I don't want to get too much into that because it's not really sports related but if you looked at everything and you realized the timing of it and the Texans having to settle with some of them in the case as well it's like there's fundamentally a level of stuff is not working here um from an ownership perspective general manager coaching uh the roster like the obviously have made the roster has obviously been through multiple trades that they have not been favorable in. Um, the Texans five six years ago were almost talent teams in the league, or even three four years ago. DeAndre Hopkins, Watson, J.J. Watt, uh, Will Fuller, like Dwayne Brown, and to have come from there, we're almost talented teams in the league. And I thought even in the early in the mid two thousands or the mid twenty tens. They had a really talented team. To go from that to maybe the least talented roster in the game, like, th this, this is what the Texans' outlook is. It is a tear-it-down season. You're not going to win too many games. You're going to win, you know, three or four games, if that. And... You're just trying to find out who looks good. Now, sometimes it's hard to tell who looks good when your whole team is bad and just the one guy making plays like, all right, well, that's our best player, apparently. When it might not truly be the case. The rest of your team is just awful. That's when, this is why, this is how you can tell bad teams that stay bad and bad teams they get good. It's being able to in the front office and ownership and, and in you know the stability of the managing group to be like, okay, this guy's actually really good. This guy's actually playing. He's making plays for us. And you keep those guys, you keep those guys around, you sign them to extensions, you give them contracts, and you know sometimes you gotta overpay for them because you are bring them in, you are essentially asking them to stay through a losing or a, a come up situation. 
or you can't really evaluate at all and you just end up with a bunch of guys who either overpaid and not good or even worse now you can't get much worse than that you just end up with a bunch of guys that are like <laughs> you end up with a bunch of guys who are overpaid not qualified to get what they paid they're not good enough to win your games and you stay bad for a decade like if you look at the quick quote-unquote rebuild jobs in the NFL over the last 10 to 15 years Seattle had one when Pete Carroll first got there and that's because they had good talent evaluators obviously you could say like oh they got Russell Wilson well Russell Wilson was a third round pick and wasn't supposed to play but then they started they were watching him practice and they watched him in the preseason and they're like oh yeah he's better than Matt Flynn get him in there and then they were able to through talent evaluation also not only who they had currently on the roster but going through the draft uh, and Pete came, coming from college he knew these guys better than the average coach which to his credit that you get a Richard Sherman a Cam Chancellor and Earl Thomas um, a Brandon Brown or a Bobby Wett. like like they were drafting developing as well as keeping the couple guys in the roster They're like okay these guys can play a Doug Baldwin and Golden Tate like they had guys who they knew could play and they focused in on them and then they rebuilt around the other parts they needed to finish or needed to build up and that's how Seattle went from a it, it essentially really like a two-year turnaround a dumpster fire to a perennial Super Bowl playoff team they had a good front office. They had a good coaching. They had good, a good management and good system. When you don't have that, you end up like the 2000s Raiders and really most of the 2010s Raiders, which is reaching on draft picks, not signing the right guys, giving incorrect contracts to players, just trying to quick fix stuff didn't have good management it was the end of Al Davis's career with the Raiders he was not who he was in the 70s and 80s where he was very sharp very on top of it you know one of the most brilliant owners we've had I feel like it's from a football perspective don't take the other stuff and the Raiders never got out of that for years so the Texans that's 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 what you are you're either going to find out not only who can play, but who can play, who can coach, and you're going to find out who can scout talent. Otherwise, you're going to be like this for the next eight to ten years versus this really only has to be a two to three year process, even with a gutted roster. Moving on to our next team. For third place in the AFC South. I wanted to, because in my head I think I believe in them more. I wanted to put them a second, but I just couldn't. We got to go to Jacksonville. And I obviously talked a lot about Trevor Lawrence, and that's really what this is. is this is the Trevor Lawrence story. If Trevor Lawrence is the truly transformational quarterback that he was drafted to be Jacksonville be competitive this year 
and I think we need to just do um, a total reset. Like, this should be considered Trevor Lawrence's rookie season. Like, this is year one for him, essentially. And if they're competitive, he looks good. They just signed another receiver, so he should be able to put up some numbers. If he can do that, this is a successful season for Jacksonville. Jacksonville's not going to gauge this season off of how many wins they get. Because realistically, they're looking at six to t six to nine wins. Like maybe if they get over 500, I think it's a super successful year. Um, but I don't think it's enough for either A, a playoff spot, and or B, enough to make real noise if they somehow did sneak into the playoffs. So you want to be around that like six, seven win, like but competitive. You don't want to be getting blown out. Like there's a progression to bad teams getting better, you know? When you're getting blown out, next year you're playing close games, then you start winning some of those close games. Now you're a playoff team. Like, if, even with transformational players, even with, like, look at the beginning of Peyton Manning's career, even with all-time transformational players, you go from losing to losing less badly to winning some close games, and sometimes that winning close games and getting to the playoffs, those coincide in the same season. But you've got to see progress here. And not just with Trevor Lawrence. Like, like I said, they brought in a bunch of receivers. You need to see progress with those. You can see the connection building between Trevor Lawrence and these new guys. Um, defensively, you need to see some improvements. You see, okay, who are we actually going to keep on this team? Because if Trevor's the guy, now you got to build around him. Is Trevor Lawrence the kind of quarterback where it's, you know, you just go all offense, all offense, all offense, and... You just want a serviceable defense. So you spend most of your time scouting and uh, your player personnel department on your offense. Or is he the kind of guy where you build more of a, okay, he only needs a certain kind of receiver, a certain kind of tight end, so we can build more on the defensive side. This is Russell Wilson was how he came up. He was able to work with lesser quote-unquote talent at receiver, as long as his defense was good, that kept him in games, and then he was able to get to a point where when they had a great defense and he was great, Super Bowl team. When he had a good defense and he was great, K okay, playoff team. Then obviously he started to skew, then he went to bad defense and he was great, and it was still got into the playoffs a couple years until the last when he got injured. This is a really, really big year for Jacksonville. There's not a lot more I can say here because we, we hit so much of it in the opening segment, but Jacksonville... You've got to find out. I said there's a lot of pressure on Trevor Lawrence in the opening segment, and there is. He's got his own pressure. But the rest of the organization's got to figure it out. Who's going to be on this roster in three years? What are the strengths of this roster? Who do we have going forward that's going to make this work? Now, I like some of the moves. I like bringing in off. I like bringing in offensive coach. I like bringing in Doug Peterson, especially a former quarterback who can kind of help talk with Trevor. Because we don't know. Trevor could have lost confidence last year. He doesn't look like it necessarily, but once again, you've been number one player forever, and you come in the NFL and you get your ass kicked, and you're, you know, the entire situation's a shit show. Having another quarterback to kind of talk through that with and understand, like, hey, look, we know you're great. Nobody was making that work last year. You could put prime Tom Brady, prime Peyton Manning, they're not making that work last year. So, Rebuilding his confidence, if it was gone at all. You bring in an offensive coach. You brought in some receivers. 
And if Trevor works, and he's the quarterback that you believed you got when you drafted him number one overall, this has a chance, despite the win total, being a very, very successful season for Jacksonville. These are two teams I think will finish at the bottom of their division. Texans, Jaguars. Two totally different outlooks. The Jaguars are going up, and the Texans are free-falling. The Texans jumped off a 500-foot building, and they don't know if their parachute's actually going to launch. So, two totally different outlooks. Um, but Jaguars, third place, the Texans, fourth place. When we come back, we will go into second and first of the AFC South. This is Hardfall Radio. We'll be back momentarily. Welcome back. This is Hardfile Radio. Uh, we are getting into the last two teams of the AFC South. So these are who I think will finish in second and first. Once again, official records will come on Friday. Um, second place in the AFC South. I think they're the trendy pick to pick to win it. Um, but I had a lot of faith in one of these teams last year. Um, and more so than the common person. So... I'm going to double down on that. So with that being said, the number two team in the AFC South, the Indianapolis Colts. I think the Colts are quote-unquote doing it right. Um, I think they've drafted and developed very well. They've obviously got star signature players. Um, you just think of some of mine, you know, like a Darius Leonard, a Quentin Nelson, obviously at the top of that list. They are... They feel like they would be a number one seed in 2007. Defense, offensive defensive line, quarterback that doesn't make mistakes, good, not great receivers, nothing flashy. They just keep, you know, they get, they just do everything right. You put the Colts and Bill Belichick in 07, and it feels like you have a 14 and 2 team. Problem is, this is 2022. 
and the problem is too, and we always see when we get to the AFC East, I don't talk about the Patriots the same way, is because even though I can I put Belichick with the Colts, Belichick has six Super Bowls, and the Colts don't. I really like Matt Ryan. I probably shouldn't like Matt Ryan as much as I do. Matt Ryan is realistically several years past his prime, and we just don't acknowledge it. Now, we know he can still play. We know he's still a good quarterback. Just like we know Darius Leonard is a good linebacker. Just like we know Quentin. Well, Quentin Nelson's probably the one exception. He's, he's an amazing, arguably the best offensive lineman in the league. But the Colts just have a lot of good. Besides Quentin Nelson, it doesn't really feel like a lot of great. And we've assumed that they're just, oh, plug and play with a quarterback. Plug and play with a quarterback. I don't think that works the way people think it should. Let me give you an example for the Colts, why I think the Colts are a little different. Let's go with the two most, and this is probably unfair, but let's go with some of the more iconic plug and play quarterback situations. Peyton Manning, Tom Brady. And I understand that's not fair. Two guys you could argue the two greatest at the sport ever versus Matt Ryan. When Manning got to Denver, while it maybe hadn't been fully realized, Von Miller had flashes of great. Demarius Thomas, rest in peace, had flashes of great. Eric Decker, while it was a shorter run, had flashes of great. They, at the time, still had a champ Bailey. They still had, like, they had great pieces on the roster. Or potentially great pieces. Like guys who stood out. Orion Clady at left tackle. Even no Sean Marino. The Colts don't feel like that. The Bucks the same way. Mike Evans we knew was great before Tom Brady. Chris Godwin was really, really good flashes of great. Shaquille Barrett, while he was in Denver, had flashes of great then on Tampa. And Dominican Sue, while older, flashes of great. Like, they had these guys, they had six, seven guys who were already really good, potentially great. And then they added the quarterback. That's what I think the difference is here. Now, I'll give you, it's unfair to judge Matt Ryan against Peyton Manning and Tom Brady. And those Denver and Tampa Bay teams that eventually went on to win Super Bowls. So let's use a more fair comp for Matt Ryan. Let's go to last year's Rams. Do we think there's anyone on the Colts that's as good as Aaron Donald? Quentin Nelson's our best player, and only any of us would say Quentin Nelson's better than Aaron Donald. Is there anybody on the Colts who's as good as Jalen Ramsey? That's, again, you could argue Ramsey's better than Quentin Nelson, and that's their best player. Is anyone as good as Cooper Cup? Is anyone as good as Andrew Whitworth? Quentin Nelson, I give you, is better than Andrew Whitworth, especially at the age, but... It's not a huge gap. Do you know what I'm saying here? The Rams, the Broncos, the Buccaneers all had great on their roster. Whether it was not quite fully realized in the case of Von Miller, Demarius Thomas, a Shaq Barrett, or guys who had already been great. Mike Evans, Ndamukin Sue, Aaron Donald, Jalen Ramsey. That's when these plug-and-play quarterback situations really work. Guys who are obviously great, 
And Stafford is a more fair comparison. Him and Matt Ryan have more com comparable careers than obviously what Peyton Manning and Tom Brady have. But we already knew who was great on the Rams. We don't necessarily feel that way about the Bucks. Or, I'm sorry, about the Colts. So, as much as I think there's people that are hyped for the Colts and excited for the Colts and they go, oh, Matt Ryan's going to make the huge difference, I don't know that he is. And I like Matt Ryan. But besides Quentin Nelson and Darius Leonard, who's probably on that second tier, great. Who's great on this roster? J Jonathan Taylor as well. Apologies. But three guys? And two primarily just impact the running game. And Darius Leonard plays, while he's great at it, a position that's been its least impactful ever, ever in its lifespan, middle linebacker? Just asking. And the number one team from the AFC South. Oh, that's some good coffee. Number one team from the AFC South, of course is the Tennessee Titans. The Tennessee Titans are really great consistency. So they feel like whatever magic New England had for all those years, um, and once again exclude, we're not comparing Brady to Tannehill here, but just really good quarterback play, really good defensive play, really good special teams play, don't beat themselves. That's what Tennessee is right now. And Tennessee, unlike what I just said about the Colts. And I understand Jonathan Taylor went crazy last year. But Jonathan Taylor's not Derrick Henry. Derrick Henry is a truly all-time transformation running back. Put him wherever you want in your rankings, I don't care. But a truly all-time, at his peak, a truly all-time transformational running back. Who, if he didn't get hurt, was still on pace to have a better year than Jonathan Taylor had last year. And we're not sure if Taylor's going to repeat his year. That's how good Derrick Henry is. That's how great Derrick Henry is. Derrick Henry has commercials as a running back in 2022. That's not easy. There's like four guys in the league who get commercials. Henry, Kamara, McCaffrey, Jonathan Taylor might join that list. Ryan Tannehill's demise, I think, is a little overplayed. Do I think Ryan Tannehill is the greatest quarterback ever? Is he an all-pro type of quarterback? No. But he is far more than serviceable. Super dependable. Doesn't miss time. Pretty good to me. Pretty good to me. Yes, well, the loss of A.J. Brown hurt to some degree. But I also don't think of A.J. Brown as this, I think the game-changing aspect of A.J. Brown is not the same as a team like Kansas City who lost Tyreek Hill, a team like Green Bay who lost Devontae Adams. I think A.J. Brown is really good. I don't think he's quite those guys. You could also argue, okay, they lost Julio Jones, but Julio was hurting a lot of last year. And when Derrick Henry, now, this this pick, this is one of them. This is probably my biggest what-if pick, or if everything goes right. And that is this pick is largely due to, can Derrick Henry stay healthy? If Derrick can stay healthy, wonderful. I feel really good about him. 
even better than I do right now. Derrick Henry can't stay healthy. Something happens, which I, I'm inclined to go with, you know, if you've only ever been hurt once in your life, I don't consider you injury prone. So if Derrick Henry bounces back and he's Derrick Henry again, the Titans win this division. Is their defense great? No. Is their receivers great? No. Is Ryan Tannehill great? No. But these were all true last year. And they still essentially ran away with the division. And that's with Derrick Henry getting hurt. And I do think Derrick Henry's carries will go down. But I don't necessarily think as great as Derrick Henry is, I don't think that means his impact is gone. They have the most effective play-action game in the world because of Derrick Henry. And Ryan Tannehill thrives in play-action. It's called good team construction. You got a quarterback that's really good at play-action, have a real good running game because then the play-action is better. So this is also, I think, the worst division in football. Arguably, them and the NFC, the both, both the Souths are pretty weak, uh, which is why we're starting the week off with them. So this is what goes with the AFC South as we conclude here. Titans at the top. Colts second place. Colts potentially could get a wild card, so I don't want to throw them out totally here. Third place, the Jacksonville Jaguars. And the fourth place, the Houston Texans. And we might build the right fourth place on them for the next five years. With that being said, appreciate everybody for coming through today. Um, as always, I appreciate everyone that listens. Tomorrow, we are doing the AFC East. Um, that'll be real fun. Uh, the following day, the North, and then the West. Then we're doing the AFC records, predictions, all that good stuff on Friday. As well as NFC next week going South, East, um, North, West. It's really cool because both Wests are the two best divisions in football on both sides of the conference. NFC West is the best division in the NFC. AFC West is the best division in the AFC. So, good how that worked out and turned out for us. So, that'd be cool to save the best for last kind of deal. Um, but as always, at I talk a lot 9080 at HardFound Network on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. Appreciate everybody for listening, and I will see you tomorrow.